Rinkwide Vancouver. For the first time in nearly a month, the Vancouver Canucks win back-to-back hockey games. They defeat the Carolina Hurricanes by a score of 4-3. to three. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. It's brought to you by Betway, Jeff Patterson, along with Blake Price. The Canucks got out to an early lead, but had to hold on a little bit in that third period as the Hurricanes outshot the Canucks 10-3. to three. They bent, but they did not break, and people in this market have been waiting for Elias Pettersson to return to that early season form, and EP40 was huge on this night figuring in three of the Canucks' four goals. And, uh, Blake, I think this is what the fans wanted, maybe an early Christmas present from uh, the guy that we call the alien affectionately. Uh, he was otherworldly in this hockey game. It turns out he gets the winner, and it was a big one as the Vancouver Canucks squeeze out a 4-3 victory over the Hurricanes. On the night of the Botchford Project at Rogers Arena, bro did his deeks. And, and we've sort of been chronicling it a little bit in that he hasn't been very good at pulling them off lately, and we wondered if it was injury-related, what have you. I mean, we're filling in blanks here, but I noted a couple deeks that were successful last game. They were neutral zone. They didn't you know, really result in anything, but I thought to myself, hmm, those were successful. I wonder. He started with a couple of deeks uh, leading to the Lafferty goal as he wound his way through the neutral zone, a nice little juke at the blue line that opened up some space. And then, of course, the wraparound goal. Uh, it was a nice game. And, you know, again, it wasn't a Mona Lisa. Neither was the last game on Thursday, Jeff, but back-to-back wins for the first time in forever. And it's just what the doctor ordered. So uh, I think they should take it no matter how it came. Yeah, you got to go back to the end of that Eastern Canadian road trip, mid-November. They beat Montreal. They came back home. They beat Bo Horvat and the New York Islanders. That was the last time that they had won consecutive games. And then really from there, it was one step forward, one step back. They had alternated wins and losses over the last 10, but they beat Minnesota and they were able to back it up with this 4-3 victory and just staying with Pedersen. And we'll get to our rink-wide Vancouver three-star selection a little later on, and he will figure prominently, spoiler alert there, but not all three-point nights are created equally. Sometimes uh, you'll get, you know, the empty net or, or an assist on the empty net or, or a goal and a couple of secondary assists. This was the game winner and two primary assists as he sets up his line mates for the first two goals of this hockey game and Elias Pettersson's fingerprints all over it. We know that he burst out of the gates early on and was the league leader in scoring for the through the first couple of weeks of the season. This is his fifth three or more point night of this season. 28 games in, four came in the first 13. So he was just racking up points at will. And then he hit a little bit of a production wall. And that's why we've been saying that the points are there. He's so talented. He's picking up points along the way. He's still among the NHL scoring leaders but he hadn't had that kind of game where he was the driving force. And I'm with you. Like, that first goal, a little hesitation play just to back the defenders off and got a little help because the shot deflects off a stick that kind of threw Antiranta's rhythm off a little, and instead of just swallowing that puck, he's forced to kick it out, and he kicks it right to Sam Lafferty. And what a story Sam Lafferty has been for the Vancouver Canucks here in the early going and then uh, Elias Patterson, maybe his best play, certainly my favorite play. I know the game winner will uh, certainly have pleased a lot of people, but that pass onto the stick of Ilya Mikheyev, just an absolute no-doubter. Moments after Mikheyev had missed Patterson on the pass as they broke into the zone, it looked like Elias Patterson was going to be in all alone from sort of the top of the circles down, and the pass was just out of his reach, and he stays with it, a little shake and bake over on the sideboards, and then just delivers that pass with force and precision. 
And there was just a no-doubter. There was no way that Mikheyev couldn't convert that one. He does for his ninth of the year. A big night for Elias Pettersson, and I think a relief probably for the Canuck organization and uh, much of this fan base. And, and the, the little juke that you talked about on the sideboards before that pass, it's on Pesci. Like, that's on one of the best defenders in the league. And, again, that's what is heartening, I think, for Canucks fans to see is that, and, hey, you'll take the shot off the button in and, you know, the fortunate bounces in, in this uh, crazy sport. But, you know, when you're taking on an equal in, in, in terms of, you know, prowess, Pesci defensively, uh, Pedersen offensively, and you just flat out beat the guy, something's going right. He must be feeling good. And that's what we've been waiting to see for uh, Elias Pedersen. I have to think, too, Jeff, that he probably knew that Miller was on the precipice and ultimately was able to catch Tony Tanti for the fastest <laughs> of 40 stat that got a lot of play, yeah. at least on the broadcast. And he probably thought to himself, I just need six points tonight. And he got halfway there. <laughs> and he can be, hey, he can be uh, the second fastest total. It'll be the third fastest guy. But he can be the third fastest guy to 40 points if he gets uh, another three-point night next time out uh, next Tuesday. I mean, it speaks to the expectations that we have on this guy in this market. But he's brought those on himself with a 102-point season and so many nights of magic in his time in the National Hockey League that it felt like he was struggling a little here over the last three weeks or so. And certainly his production had dropped. I mean, I do think context matters here. And he's playing with Ilya Mikheyev, who's still trying, I think, to shake off uh, the effects of uh, the knee surgery in the offseason. I know he's had 25 games and has been pretty productive in them. But, you know, Sam Lafferty certainly hasn't been a, a top six forward for the most part in his career. Got a little opportunity in Chicago last year because they had nobody else and, and made the most of it and showed a little bit of uh, offensive flourish there with the Blackhawks before he was traded to Toronto. But, you know, look at Elias Pettersson. I mean, these aren't 40-goal scorers that he's playing with. And I do think that that sort of factors into some of the dip in his production. But again, there's enough of a body of work here to know when he's on and when he's not. And so it's just encouraging to see him have a game where uh, he takes over and was the best player and the Canucks needed it because ultimately they got a little sloppy and kind of fell asleep there to start the third period. The other night against Minnesota, it was the first period where they didn't get off to a great start. Here, it was a much better start. And in fact, at one point, the shots were 11-1 to 1 in favor of the Canucks, aided by a couple of first period power plays. But Brady Shea scores the power play goal, and we'll talk about penalties because that certainly was a storyline in this hockey game. But Brady Shea scores the power play goal in the final minute of the second period, and all of a sudden, you know, the Canucks have to roll their sleeves up. They've got work to do over the final 20 minutes. Did not like the start no. to the third period. Teddy Bluger had that one rush, but outside of that, the Canucks were back on their heels, and I don't know if they thought it was going to be easy. Carolina's had... Uh, uh, its share of struggles uh, to start this road trip. That's now four straight losses for them as they've worked their way through Western Canada. So they're probably glad that they're done uh, with this part of uh, the country because the trip started in Winnipeg through Alberta and here, and they're still looking for uh, a win. They've got two more games to go. They go to Ottawa and Detroit before they're back home. But uh, they had enough left in the tank to push the Canucks and that shift that ultimately results in the crossbar. And there's Stefan Nason to bang in a loose puck behind Thatcher Demko. Uh, against the JT Miller line, at that point it got a little dicey, but EP40 to the rescue a minute and 19 seconds after Nason scores. Pedersen puts the Canucks back in front. They didn't trail in this hockey game. Didn't like the way that they came out and approached 
that third period. Never want to see a 10-3 period with a one goalie going into it. Generally, Jeff, I'd say you lose that hockey game, to be quite honest. But uh, that Pedersen goal was a manna from heaven, and they did settle down in the final 10 minutes of the game, and I thought played a little bit more uh, structured and defensive and sound defensively, not, not frantic defensively like they did in the opening two minutes before the goal, and ultimately hold them off. And the PK, they do give up the goal, uh, late in the second period, the PK was better. Now, I think Thatcher Demko is probably the best penalty killer, but the PK was better, and I almost don't want to even count that lot, that late power play goal. There were two seconds left in the penalty as well, so they were that close to a perfect night of the PK as well, which is a story. That was a unique power play goal as well because it's Brady Shea, sort of a bang-bang play from Dimitri Orlov. The two defensemen were down low in the late stages of the Carolina power play. This is a weird Carolina team, too, and I think they're better than their record. They haven't had a whole lot of goaltending, although, man, Antti Ranta held them in there in that first period. That save that he made off Brock Besser, like that hurt me watching him contort and uh, turn, but absolute robbery from one of the hottest goal scorers in the National Hockey League. There were some other opportunities there, and so it hasn't been a banner season for Antti Ranta, and the Canes are still trying to find a guy that they can rely on. Uh, they got some goaltending in this game, although the shot totals were low. I mean, the final shots were 24-24. Carolina leads the NHL in average shots per game, so this was way under an average night at the office for them, but they are also the stingiest team in terms of uh, fewest shots surrendered on a per-game basis, and so the 24 Canuck shots sort of falls in line with that. Carolina doesn't get outshot very often, and they didn't get outshot in this one. The shots were a saw-off, but uh, that's 13 straight games now that Carolina has not been outshot by an opponent. So they're pretty good at limiting opportunities and for the Canucks to get four, all of them at even strength. And that was a story a couple of weeks ago, but they seem to have rectified that now, starting to score a little bit more uh, five on five. And ultimately they outscore the Canes four to two on this night at even strength because Carolina did have the one power play goal. Let's get into that because Rick Tockett praised his team. On Thursday against Minnesota, they took one penalty, Blake. It was in the first period, and even that, it was a bit of a chintzy call against Ian Cole. And the coach said, yeah, we've you know done a nice job. We've talked about it, and you know we, we've removed the, the cheap stick fouls from our game. Well, Philip Ronick gets called for a slash. While they're killing that one, JT Miller, I'm not sure what that was all about. I mean, that was a penalty all day, every day, and twice on some days. Uh, you know, you're already down a man, and you're just like whacking the guy right in the hands, and in direct view of the referee. So two slashing penalties in the first period. And then two, too many, that's a lot of too many men on the ice uh, in that second period. Not one, but two. And how many post games do we hear Rick Tockett talking about, you know, slow to the bench, bad changes, playoff teams don't do that. I can't imagine that Rick Tockett uh, is going to be thrilled uh, with that aspect of the game. Yeah, the penalty kill was pretty good. Throw a Nils Hoaglander tripping penalty in there as well. You know, discipline and just some sloppiness uh, throughout for the Vancouver Canucks, something that they are going to have to uh, address and, and just find a way to get out of their game. I, I'd have to see another. The one replay I saw, I didn't think that that Ronick slash was a slash. I thought he got him like oh, a foot up the bla- you know the shaft. Right. I, yeah. I, I didn't love that call. Everything else is pretty much you know stereotypical and. You know, I understand Hughes is hungry and he sees that loose puck and he sees all the space there and he wants that puck was moving so slowly. I wonder if he holds for just a beat, get on the ice, but just hold for a beat until Cole's a little bit closer. Maybe scream at Cole. 
that puck was moving so slow. I still think he probably keeps that puck alive, but you're just so excited. You see that opportunity, and he couldn't help himself. He goes and touches the puck. So, I mean, yeah, Ian Cole's going to get an earful, I would think, from his head coach after this game about that hustle. Um, but just overall awareness, too, especially after you've already taken one. Uh, you got to be careful, and and those are just freebie power plays too. Like those are those are the worst ones to give away. At least every other kind of penalty that you can think of, it's it's due to compete. You know, like this isn't due to compete; it's due to sloppiness, and uh, that's something that Canucks can certainly clean up. Yeah, and they're fortunate. Carolina team that they came into the game nineteenth in the league on the power play, and we've seen this in playoffs past. You know, they don't have Smetchnikov who's missed the last couple of games, and he would help certainly, but. This is a team that has a lot going for a lot of nice pieces, but they lack that true game breaker. Mm-hmm. And I think you saw that again tonight in a one goal game where Elias Pettersson and JT Miller both score for the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, Carolina gets a goal from Jordan Martinuk, former Vancouver Giant, who plays hard, always shows up. But his first goal of the season, Brady Shea is fifth and, and Stefan Nason with his eighth of the year. So this was the kind of night where. You know, another opponent, if they've got that game breaker, if they've got a 40-goal a scorer in their lineup, uh, maybe it's a different outcome. But uh, they were playing the Canes tonight. Uh, they get the job done and and win it by a score of 4-3. to three. The Canucks improved to 18-9-1 now on the season. That's 37 points in the standings, 10-3-1 at home. So uh, the home ice record uh, is impressive. It continues to be impressive with the win over Minnesota and this one here tonight. And Thatcher Demko now with 13 victories on the season, turned 28 on Friday, so a belated birthday present for him. And, you know, a bounce-back game, too. Gave up the sixth the other night against New Jersey, the most that he's given up all season long, and was forced to make some saves there in that third period. And again, it kind of comes back to what I just mentioned, that uh, there are some other teams that have you know, better firepower, one-shot scores. Uh, the Canes don't. And so Thatcher Demko faced 10 shots, and was able to stare down nine of them and uh, preserve the victory for the Vancouver Canucks. And Jeff, that 18-9-1 record that you talk about, I mean, for as much as there's been some hand-wringing, not a lot, and I've actually been impressed by fans and media for sort of not panicking despite this sort of middling play of late, they finally get these back-to-back wins that we talked about. They're back to the high water mark of the season of nine games above five hundred. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just like that. Like, that's all it took. After all this middling play, they get back-to-back wins, and they're back. Like if they happen to win their next game, that will be the furthest ahead of 500 they've been all season long. Just, just like that. So again, we back to that. What did they accomplish with the 12, three, and one start? This is what they accomplished. Didn't take much for them to get their season back on track. Because you, I think you can make the argument with this win tonight, they're back on track. How were they going to end this streak of win one, lose one? And at the end of it, if you win back to back games like they did, all of a sudden. There is no reason for panic because 500 hockey, but now you have a chance to build on this. You've got a good Tampa team coming in on on Tuesday in Florida here, Roberto Luongo uh, Ring of Honor night to wrap up the homestand. But I think the other part, and people are starting to figure this out as well, is that mushy middle in the Western Conference, the chase pack, if you will. I mean, everybody is scuffling, Blake. It's incredible on a night where the Canucks pick up two points They gain ground on Calgary, Nashville, Arizona, St. Louis, and the Seattle Kraken. The Kraken, the only one of those five teams to even get a point as they took Tampa to overtime and they lost Nikita Kucherov with a couple of goals. He's up to 19 now, so he bumps Brock Besser from his perch. Brock's got some work to do. There's a new goal-scoring sheriff, and he's the points leader in the National Hockey League as well. So they'll share the ice here on Tuesday. But at 18-9-1, 
the Canucks can continue to hold court here and hold serve with the Los Angeles Kings lost for the first time out on the road. They got a single point on the island, but they gave up a lead. And you know, so they don't gain the full, the Canucks gain a point on LA and Vegas uh, was a big winner in Dallas. But it almost feels like the Canucks can just focus on hanging with the big boys at the top of the Pacific because nobody behind them seems to be, I mean, Edmonton now, I guess, is the team that's starting to make a move from that uh, trailing pack. Even if you want to look at points percentage, which some feel is the more true measure, the Canucks are legitimately third in the conference now. Nobody in the Central even has a points percentage better than the Vancouver Canucks. It is L.A., Vegas, and Vancouver in that order of points percentage. I think they can sort of look to themselves in the mirror and they beat a, you know, I think what everybody thinks is a, a playoff team. They're starting to build a better roster now of beating better teams at the very least. And certainly if they win one of the next two, I think that should qualify as well. Although, uh, to be honest, the the Carolina Hurricanes uh, are further above 500 than the Tampa Bay Lightning are. Or actually, now they're even with the uh, loss tonight. Carolina drops to two games above 500, which is where Tampa is as well. So, I mean, if you think beating Tampa's a quality opponent, then you have to say that beating Carolina is a quality opponent as well. So, you know, they're, they're starting to prove it to themselves a little bit. They're starting to learn different ways to win and how to lock down leads and how to bounce back. And slowly but surely, they're looking like a team that knows what it's what it's doing. The first month was super Super fun, but that wasn't that wasn't sustainable. That wasn't what, how you're going to win in the playoffs. And I think Rick Talk is trying to build this into them now, as as every week goes by. Of this is where we need to get to in order to be the kind of team that actually just sails into the playoffs and isn't fighting tooth and nail. We're going to hear from players and the coaches. We always do uh, a little later on here on Rinquad Vancouver. We'll get our three stars. We'll get to the stat that stands out. A little bit of listener feedback as well. Uh, but a couple other. Points in this hockey game that I, I want to get to, and uh, let's go to the JT Miller goal because for all the talk about staples and non-negotiables and how many times have we heard wall work, like I, I think Rick Tockett may frame uh, a still of that goal on his office wall. Nils Hoaglander beats Brent Burns to the puck, leaves it on the end boards. Brock Besser spins away from Jacob Slavin. You know, we talked about Brent Pesci. Like, this team is loaded with quality defenders. And on that play, they got Burns and, and Slavin out there together. Hoaglander's the first guy in. Some good hustle there. Chips it behind uh, the net. Besser spins off the check and just puts it in the wheelhouse of JT Miller for his 15th goal of the season. Uh, 40th point. And I thought that was a big goal. In fact, I thought that would probably be a turning point in this hockey game. Uh, Carolina was on the board. It was 2-1, to one, and that made it 3-1, to one, and it felt like a bit of breathing room, and maybe the Canucks let their foot off the gas just a little bit, but still so much to like in that sequence that winds up in the third Canuck goal of the night. Can we give a third and fourth assist on that? Because yeah, but Lafferty to Pedersen to get things started. Pedersen rags the puck in the corner, allowing Hoaglander and Besser to come onto the ice. He does the anti-Ian Cole. He moves his ass to the bench, and then that allows Miller, like, Miller is Pedersen. Pedersen right. got to the bench, Miller off, all in that whole sequence, and he scores the goal. Like, that was, uh, yeah, Rick Tockett will be beaming watching that video because from the last shift to the guys that score, it was absolute perfection. Yeah, and JT Miller, I mean, what can you say? 40 points. 40 points in 28 games. This is a guy that got to 99 a couple of seasons ago, and you would love to have seen him get to, to triple digits. I had the opportunity in the final game of the regular season in Edmonton. Bruce Boudreau played him a bunch. It went to overtime, and he came up a point short. 
Uh, still, 99 points was an incredible season. And I don't know about you, but I, I often thought, okay, that's going to be the high water mark. Like, there's probably going to be a little bit of regression in his scoring, but there are other ways that he can help this hockey club. And, of course, he negotiated off a 99-point season, and it worked out pretty well for him with the contract extension. But, like, the guy sitting on 40 points 28 games into this season. I echo your sentiments entirely in that 99 points seemed like that, okay, everything went right for this player kind of season, except he's doing it again. So <laughs> so what do you what do you do with that information? And he actually looks a little bit more in control of what he's doing now. And, and this goes back to the, the great piece. I don't know if you were uh, still on the rink at this point, but the great look at the whiteboard work with him in yes. pocket and yeah. him grabbing the marker and – there's a maturity here that's happening, and it took a while. I mean, Miller's getting to uh, the big 3-0. You know, it took a while here, but there's a maturity here. He seems to be channeling this intense fire that he's got for this game and using it for good, not evil. And and him and Tockett, I mean, we kind of scoffed at the old Tockett's the, the Miller whisperer. But Jeff, is Tockett the Miller whisperer? Because there seems to be an understanding here, not only between him and two, but I really like just the body language I see between Miller and his teammates out on the ice as well. It just seems pretty copacetic and and everybody pulling their own weight. There doesn't seem to be a lot of blame right now. Now things are going pretty good, but even during the scuffling, you know, three-week session here, there still hasn't been a lot of finger pointing. This looked pretty, uh, pretty healthy out there. And the other member of that line, and he gets the second assist on the Miller goal, was Hoaglander, who I was really curious in a one-goal game. You know, it's tight in that third period. Carolina's pressing. We have seen Rick Tockett park players. Now, part of it is some of the guys that maybe he would turn to. Uh, some of them have fallen out of favor a little bit. Uh, Phil Giuseppe's not playing a lot right now and sat a couple of games. Uh, Kuzmenko's not going to be out there late in the game. So by process of elimination... Uh, Niels Hoaglander maintained his spot on that line, and you loved the hustle. There was that dive up ice to break up a D-to-D pass with about four minutes to go, and then uh, along the boards, uh, one of the late shifts with about two to go, looked like he had lost the initial battle, but he stuck with it and found a way to get his stick on the puck, flipped it high to center ice, and cleared the zone. And so the assist is great. But something tells me that, uh, you know, what's going to stick with the coaching staff is some of that work late in the game that can prove that this guy can be out there and can handle his own in those situations. I mean, he, he I think he's realized what he needs to do to stick in this league. I mean, this is this is vintage if there's such a, if you can say that about a guy this young. But this is what attracted us to Niels Hoaglander in his rookie season except this is even more turbocharged. I feel he's even more aggressive than he was in the Canadian division, more noticeable. It's a more mature play. It's 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 great to see. Um, a lot of players never get this second chance, never get to wow uh, a coach again and sort of woo the organization, get the trust back. But Nils Hoaglander seems to have been able to, to figure it out, and I think it's just in time because I think patience might have been wearing out if it didn't work uh, this year at some point. I think he was probably going to be given the year at various points uh, to check in and sort of see if he's got it, but probably only that, and he seems to have really figured things out. So try this on for size. Uh, it plays 13 minutes even on the night, most of it 5-on-5. Five five. Got a little bit of power play time on the second unit, but... Three and a half in the first period, just a shade under four. Now, there were special teams on both sides. In those first couple of periods, there was no penalties either way in the third. But Nils Hoganger played five and a half minutes of that third period. So, you know, where he was under four in each of the first two periods in the most high leverage portion of this hockey game, he's playing five and a half minutes where Phil Giuseppe got two minutes and 12 seconds of ice time in the third, one shift in the final 15 minutes for PDG. 
That was a 1980s kind of fourth line. Um, I mean, did uh, Kuzi just crested 10? But everybody, I mean, they were, uh, he's the high water mark on the fourth line at 10.36. Not much there. And you wonder if they're just counting the days, the hours perhaps, until Pew Suter gets back so that, that maybe they can feel the confidence to roll four lines just a little bit more than they have been. To the fourth line's credit, though, and, and across the board, those three guys, Nils Amon and and Kuzmenko and PDG, the, the one shift or one shift over the, the final 15 minutes of the hockey game. But in the time that they did play five on five tonight, spent most of their shifts in the offensive zone, like the, the shots on goal when Kuzmenko was out there was six to one uh, in favor of the Canucks. So in the first 40 minutes, they were fine when they were out there. They're better than fine. But uh, again, it comes uh, with the trust and the coach obviously saw that other lines were going was willing to uh, roll the dice with those guys, shorten his bench a little, and in the end, the Canucks hold off the Carolina Hurricanes by a score of 4-3. to three. They get the victory here back-to-back for the first time in a month with Tampa coming in on Tuesday and then Florida here to wrap up the homestand on Thursday. All right, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about this one. That will continue. We've got a whole lot more uh, still to come here, but it is time right now for our Betway Bet of the Day. And looking ahead to the Sunday schedule and a... San Jose Sharks team that is amongst the best teams in the NHL since November the 25th. You're not being punked. It's actually true. And they're taking on a Golden Knights team. They played earlier in the day, so they're not going to be totally exhausted, but it's back-to-back for the Vegas Golden Knights. But you know what? It's 360 on the Sharks. Why not? Why not? 360 is a big number in the NHL in a regular season game. So take the Sharks for 360. There you go. That's our Betway bet of the day. Must be 19+. plus. Please play responsibly. The Canucks played responsibly. They got outshot in that third period, but uh, they got Thatcher Demko back there doing his thing, and they beat the Carolina Hurricanes by a score of 4-3. to three. They'll see the Canes in Raleigh February. They'll see Carolina right out of the All-Star break first week of February. We will carry on. We've got some player reactions still to come here. Three-star selection, stat that stands out, and we will dip into the social channels to find out what you, the listeners, uh, thought of this performance and the way the Canucks went about their business here on Saturday night. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. Vancouver Canucks defeat the Carolina Hurricanes by a score of 4-3 to three here on Saturday night. Uh, you've heard from us. Let's get inside the locker room, Blake, here, and we'll hear from uh, the head coach, although he's not in the locker room. He's at uh, his podium there in the media room, but we will hear from J.T. Miller and Elias Pettersson. Rob Brindamore not in his team's dressing room either because they had a players-only meeting afterwards. So, Yikes. Uh, 15 to 20-minute players-only meeting for the Canes, so the Canucks are uh, sending the Canes back home reeling with four straight Western losses, so. Yeah, at least they were in this one. Uh, people have made a lot out of the comments. Uh, the bench interview in Edmonton the other night when yes. they were down, I think, 4 nothing, and he said it felt like they were down 50 nothing, or they were headed in that direction. They were in this one. They were tied at 3 in the third, and then the Canucks got the winner ultimately and then held off uh, this Carolina hockey team. Let's hear from Rick Tockett talking about that 3-1 goal that we kind of documented uh, in that opening segment, uh, the work of the guys down low, but it starts with Elias Patterson and... And the line change in zone. This is uh, Rick Tockett just appreciating all that went on to yield the 3-1 goal for the Vancouver Canucks. When we scored, everybody was cheering and high-fiving. And I went up to Petey. I said, you should get an assist on that play. That's the unselfishness. You know, if he stays on, who knows? But he comes off, Millsy comes on, at, you know, full bore. I mean, he came down the pipe, like, 
nobody could have, you know, stopped him. He was, he didn't, and then obviously was a hell of a play by Hoggy, and I think it was uh, best. But uh, that's the stuff, you know, those are the staples we're looking for. Yep, for sure. There you go. The coach running up and down the bench. He wants uh, five assists on that goal for a guy that values wall work and quick changes and everything, all of the staples. Like, that was just like the Rick Tockett handbook. It was all in one play right there for the Vancouver Canucks. But as much as he liked that, not uh, thrilled with his hockey club and those penalties that we talked about, the two too many men in that uh, middle frame, and they had one the other night as well. So you hope that that's not a trend. If it is, it's something that they're going to have to clean up, and the coach knows it. Well, obviously, it's three now two games, and we got to, you know, yeah, it's, you know, we gotta we gotta shore, shore up on it, you know. Uh, we got that's, you gotta, I mean, because we're full control of the game, and then you give them, you know, the, what they have two or three power plays in a row. That that took a little bit of steam off us, right? But uh, did a good job of killing it until that one. But yeah, that can happen, and uh, you know, all of us gotta take responsibility, even the coaches. So lots of good from the Vancouver Canucks, but again, playing with fire. If you're gonna just basically give teams power, make the teams work for power plays. Don't just give them freebies. And ultimately, Carolina did score on the second of the two too many men uh, in that final minute of the second period. So and even if your PK was rolling like thunder, you just you don't tempt fate. You just you just don't do that. You're going to take your penalties during the competition of the sport. You don't need to just write blank checks for them and, and to write two of them. My goodness, and terrible. I, I'm envisioning next practice. Uh, Rick Tockett is working on line changes, getting all the guys sitting yes, on the bench, and... sprinting the final <laughs> ten feet. Exactly. Uh, JT Miller uh, scores his fifteenth of the season. That seemed to be. I know it wasn't the winner, and we will hear from Elias Patterson uh, in a moment here. But JT Miller. Kind of like the coach, uh, props all around. Uh, he gets the glory because he was the guy that put the puck in the net, but he knows that there was a lot of work that went into setting him up for uh, that 3-1 goal. It was a great change by Petey. Very selfless by him. Um, you know, he easily could have hung around there to see what happened on offense. You know, it's, and I don't blame him, but he changed, and I kind of got lost in coverage just by coming off the bench, and uh, I didn't know if they knew I changed. So that's why I yelled so loud probably. There you go. And people have wondered, you know, is there friction between JT Miller and Elias Pettersson at times? Locker politics aside, locker room politics, uh, they were very much on the same page uh, on this night. On that goal, Pettersson starts it, gets off the change, and you know, JT looked like he had been shot out of a cannon. Uh, and as he said, like kind of gets lost in the shuffle there. The Hurricanes are watching other guys. He comes off the bench right down Main Street and perfect pass from Brock Besser into the back of the net. Uh, another interesting comment I thought from Miller here. He was asked about this team learning to protect leads. Now, the other night, they did well to come all the way back from the big deficit, tied it up against New Jersey, and then all hell broke loose in their own zone. And they give up the winner in the final minute. Much better against Minnesota when they had a 2-0 lead in the third period and they were able to see that one through and, and hold the Wild off the score sheet. You know, here tonight, this is a good test that, you know, these are situations, if the Canucks continue to win, that, you know, they'll put themselves in where they take leads to the third period. And so JT Miller is talking about the fact that, you know, this is a situation that they're getting more and more comfortable in is playing with the lead in the third period. Uh, we just want to be comfortable in that situation. I know it's easier said than done, but we need to... If we want to be where we're at, we're going to be in that situation a lot, you know, up one or two going into the third period, and we don't want to change our game and sit back. Uh, if you sit back, teams are going to eat you alive at some point. They're going to get their look. So, uh, you know, we're getting better at it. Um, not perfect by any means tonight. Um, you know, at points that game was kind of hard to watch with the rims and flips, but sometimes that's how it is. We kind of knew it was going to be that type of game, and we didn't want to crack with turnovers and such. So, you know, I'm happy that we, uh, you know, I'm really happy we had a good start today. And I like that from him. Where he says, like, 
you know, there's going to be more of these. And he's right. And you hope that eventually it all leads to a playoff spot and then the stakes go up and and they're going to have to learn how to play with a one-goal lead and, and, you know, see it through. And maybe you're not at your best. And, yeah, you can bend a little bit. Uh, you got Thatcher Demko back there hoping to, you know, mop up whatever mistakes happen. But uh, I like that mindset of JT Miller that, you know, just keep filing these away, that these are sort of experiences that this team is going to have to draw on as the season moves along. And Jeff, to be fair to the, to the entire roster, they've only been working on this for the last three weeks. If we remember in the first six weeks of the season, they were winning every <laughs> game by three goals. And, and it's not even an exaggeration. Well, there's there's they that were, too. Yes. They, were, they were just blowing teams away when they were winning. Now, when they were losing, obviously they were losing, but they weren't in a lot of close games. So they've only been working on that for literally the last three weeks to a month. Yeah, they scored first uh, for the 19th time in 28 games. Now, the first goal ultimately doesn't matter because uh, they got up 2 nothing, and even that disappeared on them. But still, you know, they don't fall behind. They don't trail. Uh, it doesn't force them to go into panic mode. They've opened the scoring in 19 of their 28 games, which is uh, pretty impressive stuff. And, you know, the other night against Minnesota, nobody would say they had a good start to that hockey game. And yet they still open the scoring uh, late in the first period there. Sometimes it's about goaltenders making enough saves until you can get the first one. You know, in this game, six minutes in, uh, they open the scoring. And so they did get the jump on a uh, tired Carolina hockey club. Uh, Elias Pettersson, we'll get to the three stars here in a sec. And uh, he'll be right up there at the top of the list. I promise you that. He was asked about, uh, you know, kind of what's clicking with that line on the surface. You'd think, okay, he's played with Ilya Mikheyev pretty much since Mikheyev came back early in the season, but Sam Lafferty is a new addition there. You've got three parts that maybe don't mesh all the time, but they had a big night in Calgary a couple of uh, weeks ago and uh, another one here tonight. They each score, Pedersen with three points, and Lafferty and Mikheyev with a goal and an assist apiece as well. EP40 is asked about uh, you know what's clicking with that line right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's easy to say after this game, I think... Uh... The way we were being predictable, we were good around the walls, chipping pucks and chipping the speed. And we had, we've been close with that uh, some previous games, but I think today it really clicked for us. And he's right. They've had some nights where they've been close, but haven't found the score sheet. It all came together here tonight. Lafferty opens the scoring. McKayev makes it 2 nothing, 8 and 9. The goal totals for those two. And Elias Pettersson got his 11th of the season, and that one stands up as the winner. EP40 with a goal and two primary assists. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, any line with Elias Pettersson on it? Not every night, but as you try to figure out, like, what is the top line for the Vancouver Canucks when EP40 is going like that? Uh, I don't think it matters who his wingers are. Uh, that's going to be a driving force for the Canucks, and it certainly was in this hockey game. I mean, I, I loved what Ilya Mikheyev and Andre Kuzmenko were in theory with Elias Pettersson, and obviously it just it wasn't working for Kuzmenko. And who knows, sometime later on this season, fingers crossed if you're a Canucks fan, maybe it will work again because I think in theory those three do work. But in the meantime, getting the extra speed and heft of Lafferty alongside Ilya Mikheyev, who's a pretty big guy himself, not so much physically, but just in terms of reach and all that sort of thing, and obviously the speed there, that seems to be working. And I think you've got you've to try to keep this lightning in the bottle for as long as it's going to last. Yeah, I can't imagine that Rick Tockett's going to tamper with a winning lineup, and he doesn't have any extra forwards right now uh, until they activate to Pia Suter. So I would just a hunch here with a couple of days before they see Tampa, but I would suggest you probably see the same lineup and the same deployment of 
players. All right, let's get to the rink-wide Vancouver three-star selection. We do that uh, on every pot after every Canucks game. Sometimes it's difficult. Uh, nights like this one, uh, an easier assignment. And in fact, uh, our three stars match those selected by the Hockey Night Canada crew in the building. Elias Pettersson, the first star. Sam Lafferty, the second star. And Ilya Mikheyev rounding out the stars. So the top line uh, with a big bottom line in this Vancouver Canuck 4-3 victory. And... Yeah, I like the play of Hoaglander throughout the night. Uh, there were others. Thatcher Demko can always be in consideration when the Canucks are victorious. Uh, Phil Heronic and, you know, sort of uh, kind of low-key. We talked about Nikita Zadorov and, and even Tyler Myers. Uh, all had fine games, but uh, I think that line, uh, you know, they deserved uh, their flowers in this one. Uh, they were terrific. Yeah, very, very key to this victory because it was a tight game otherwise, uh, you know, as JT Miller sort of had alluded to and and others as well. I mean, there was periods of, of this game that were played sort of between the tops of the circles. It wasn't necessarily the most scintillating for 60 minutes. They needed somebody to be a difference maker, and Elias Pettersson was that, and his uh, line mates were along for the ride. Yeah, PD's first three-point game since the start of that Eastern Canadian road trip. He had three in Ottawa, punctuated by a one-timer on the power play. I think it took two seconds after the, the penalty. It was a bang-bang play. He had three points that night, and that's the last time that he's uh, hit the score sheet three times. So uh, maybe a sign of things to come? We'll find out, but uh, certainly uh, had a big hand in the Canucks, knocking off the Carolina Hurricanes by a score of 4-3. to three. Still ahead here on Rink-Wide, we will get uh, to our staff that stands out. It involves Quinn Hughes, who had a relatively quiet night. In fact, a very quiet night for him uh, by his standards, but Canucks still able to, to win the hockey game. We'll get some listener feedback as we dip into our social channels at Rink-Wide Van. 4-3, the Canucks down the Carolina Hurricanes, their 18th victory of the season. You're listening to Rink-Wide Vancouver. Canucks beat the Canes 4-3. to three. We continue to break things down here on Rink-Wide Vancouver. If you go under the hood, uh, the numbers, I think uh, some score effects here as uh, the Canes are chasing. They control 60% of the shot attempts in this hockey game. The scoring chances of 5-on-5 five five were 20-17 in Carolina's favor. The high dangers, uh, a soft, though, at 10-10. Although, in that third period, and this is a natural stat trick, they say Carolina uh, had six high dangers to the Canucks one. So I don't know if it was that Teddy Bluger chance right off the bat. After that, uh, they didn't really test anti-Ranta the final shots, as we said earlier, 24-24. Before we get to some listener feedback here, uh, the stat that stands out to me, boy, we haven't gone down this road all season long. But Blake, did you notice Quinn Hughes tonight? Not much, no. And there's a a reason for that. 19 minutes and 46 seconds of ice time fourth among the Canuck defenders. He had two shifts in the final six and a half minutes as they were protecting this lead. You know, no points. The one shot on goal. This was not a banner night for him. Now, I don't think he, I'm not here to suggest that he was benched in any way. I just think they were lightening the load. They felt that they had other guys that could preserve the lead and ultimately see this one through. And that was the case. Phil Heronik led the Canucks in ice time, but uh, Nikita Zadorov. And Tyler Myers both passed Quinn Hughes as well. So uh, a bit of a rarity that way. Interesting, though, that Hughes has not found the score sheet in back-to-back games, and the Canucks have won. And 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 so you can almost spin that as a positive, that you know he doesn't have to be the driving force every night. Like, it's nice to see that they can get victories 
when he's not on and at the top of his game as he clearly was not here against Carolina. And you want teams to think, oh, they are more than that because otherwise they just think, hey, if we shut down Hughes, if we blanket Hughes, we win the game. And and they're being proven wrong if they try to come into the barn with that sort of an attitude. And I liked Nikita Zadorov's game the last couple of games. You know, I... I know what he's capable of, and I think he's capable of thinking maybe that he's a little bit better than he is, that maybe he should green light himself a little bit more, and I thought his decision-making has been pretty good the last couple of games. You know, he doesn't need to be too aggressive, although he needs to threaten just enough that people are wary of him and have to keep track of him. So I I, I thought Nikita Zadorov has, has struck a nice balance and uh, might have been why Rick Taka gave him as much ice time as he did. Yeah, and on a night where there were all those penalties that we talked about, Tyler Myers stays out of the box, Nikita Zadorov is able to defend without taking a penalty, and and that's good. You, you obviously don't want those guys running around and putting the team in peril. And so, yeah, I thought a pretty strong and, and solid night for them. In Quinn Hughes' defense, if this was an off night for him, the Canucks would have scored the Canes 3-1 to at even strength when he was out there. So, you know, he's not hurting this team. I can't imagine there'll be a night where you say, oh, Quinn Hughes hurt the Vancouver Canucks. I do wonder if the workload uh, is catching up to him a little bit because this is the third time now that he's gone consecutive games without a point. It is the first time of those three sets of games where he has been held off the score sheet that they've been able to win them both. Uh, It happened against Philadelphia and Tampa out in the, the road early in the season. They lost both of those games and then it happened a little more recently against Anaheim and Vegas. They beat the Ducks, but they lost to the Stanley Cup champion Golden Knights. Whatever the case, Quinn Hughes' production, he had a couple of assists against New Jersey in the Brother Bowl the other night, but uh, just three points now in his last seven games. That's not the Quinn Hughes that we watched and just were in awe of basically take this league by storm through the first 20 games or so. Are Canucks fans going to be okay with Zadorov and Myers bringing home a one-goal lead at the end? The last minute and 15 was all theirs. Is that the... Is that what they're going to do? Use the length and use the size to take a a one-goal lead home? Is that the pair? I I suppose the ends justify the means. Uh, They get the result. It's not, you know, it's playing with fire because we know that uh, certainly Myers can be accident-prone and make those mistakes that wind up in the net. But, uh, you know, when they're going, and again, I I think some credit to the coaching staff. Like, they're the ones that have the best feel uh, of how guys are going on a certain night, and I think they were just riding their horses tonight. And, and, and Carson Susie and Ian Cole might have something to say with that, you know, yep. when when they're both going as well. So, had a lot of people have been asking about Carson Susie, by the way. Pia Suter returned to practice on Friday, and Rick Tockett said at the morning skate here that, yeah, by the end of the homestand, a possibility wants him to get a few more practices. So, I don't think he'll play Tuesday. But the Thursday game against Florida, I think maybe we see Pia Suter back in the lineup. They sent Linus Carlson back to Abbotsford. I saw that he scored for the farmhands uh, on Star Wars night out in the Fraser Valley. So uh, they've got roster spots and and talk it confirmed that part of that was that Suter is going to be activated here uh, from the injured list uh, before too long. So Pia Suter, uh, we'll see him soon. And that's good news because he'd become a bit of a mystery man. But Carson Soucy saw him around the rink the other day uh, in a walking boot, sort of those arm crutches. Uh, looked like he had mastered those, had pretty good mobility as he was shuffling out of Rogers Arena. But, you know, here we are on the 9th of December. I think they've got seven games to go before Christmas. I think you're looking early in the new year for Carson Soucy. So if uh, people thought there would be a Christmas miracle and he would be back, they said six to eight weeks. The injury happened uh, on November the 12th, I think it was, in Montreal. So certainly after Christmas, but I would think uh, early 
in the new year for Carson Soucy. So what you see is basically what you get, and I think that uh, they've settled on their six guys, and that keeps Noah Juleson in the lineup. I thought it kind of a, a quiet night for Juleson, and that's fine. Like That's what you want yep. from Noah Juleson. So uh, he was fine here, uh, pulling on the rope in the right direction. All right, let's get into uh, the inbox here. Uh, our social channels, at Rinkwide Van, some of the feedback, uh, Dream on Twitter saying EP40 appears to be getting out of his funk. Was this game a mirage for him? And I guess that's the question, is it was great to see how does he back it up against two really good opponents in Tampa and Florida here? So, yeah, let's hope that this is him getting out of his funk and that uh, he can stack games one after the other uh, rather than a point here and a point there. Asan saying, need to find a role for Kuz. He struggled mightily again. Confidence looks at an all-time low. They're going to make room for Pia Suter. Is Nils, is it you know certainly that Nils Amon comes out, or do you slide Nils Amon to the wing? They like him as a penalty killer. Uh, I kind of think that Nils Amon may stay in the lineup and we may be back to Kuzmenko or PDG as the guys that come out. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's just not a, that's not a role for, for Kuzmenko, and I wanted him to prove. Uh, I was okay with him being slid down. I, I think it's a worthwhile experiment for Rick Tockett, like show me your work rate. Again, he wasn't terrible. There isn't much confidence there. And if you're looking for a fourth-line guy that'll give you some energy and crash, that's probably PDG more than it's Kuzmenko. So it may indeed mean a healthy scratch for for Kuzmenko after uh, a tumultuous season to date. Cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't think Suter's going to be ready for Tuesday, so they'll be spared and maybe an opportunity for some of these guys to read the room and recognize that uh, their spot's in the lineup are a little bit precarious right now. The plumber saying there can't be anything wrong with Pedersen's groin nor his wrist when he wrapped the puck around like that with Ajo draped all over him. And that part's true. And then love the reaction, Sam Lafferty. Uh, that kind of had a playoff feel to it. Uh, you know, they give up the tying goal and they answer right back a minute 19 later. And there was some real emotion in the uh, goal celebration with Lafferty and Pedersen. I think this team wants to get back on another run. I think they are sick of the middling hockey. And I think for them... This was a uh, a lowercase M must win. Like they they wanted to get off of this uh, green light red light sort of streak, and so I think that what you saw there was a guys, let's do this, let's get this one home, and that puts them back out in front, and they coast uh, coast to victory. <laughs> B Reynolds says. Lafferty's fast. He is. Uh, I mean, his speed has, uh, again, I mean, how many times Travis Green used to talk about it? Bruce Boudreau talked about other teams being faster than the Vancouver Canucks. I still don't think that they are, you know, speed burners uh, when you look at the 32 teams around the NHL. And maybe that's why Lafferty's speed steps out and Mikheyev getting up to speed, but has some moments. But even on the Mikheyev goal, like Lafferty makes that nice chip at the blue line to start that play you can just see why he's a Rick Tockett guy. Straight lines, conscientious, doesn't make many mistakes, and is finding offensive form now. Eight goals, 15 points in 28 games. I mean, he's better than a half a point a game guy. And who saw that? Like, I thought he was going to round out the bottom six and be a, a depth guy, kill some penalties, bring an element of uh, some size and, and some speed to this lineup. But uh, to get 15 points out of this guy acquired on the eve of the season. I mean, that's looking like a masterstroke for a fifth-round draft pick. Seems pretty reasonable to think he gets 20 goals. Like, it's it's crazy to think for a guy whose career high in points is 21. So, Well, I, I'm with you on the fact that when they got up 3-1 to one and took a 3-2 lead to the final period, it, it felt like it was time. Like, end this streak of 
a win and a loss and a win and a loss. And so, you know, when Carolina tied it at three, I thought they, they, they can't. Like, they've done a lot of good. They've got Petey going on a night like that. They can't let this one get away, and ultimately they didn't. They win it by a score of four to three, the 18th victory of the season, 10 of those on home ice. And uh, now uh, they'll take on the Tampa Lightning on Tuesday, and that should be some fun when you think of Kucherov leading the league and all the Canucks that are right there trying to keep pace and breathing down his neck. So a ton of star power on the ice, although Steven Stamkos didn't play down in Seattle on Saturday night. Uh, it was a late scratch, so I think it was an illness, and we'll see if uh, there's enough time between now and Tuesday for him to get healthy. Doesn't make many trips here uh, through Vancouver, so uh, certainly at this stage of his career, you want to see Steven Stamkos for sure. in the Tampa Lightning lineup. But the Canucks defeat the Carolina Hurricanes by a score of 4-3. to three. For Blake, this is Jeff, as always. Thanks so much for listening to another edition of Rinkwide Vancouver. Brought to you by Betway.